Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his fowl in the wine to his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad. He shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bow. A fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, and blessings of the breast and of the womb, and blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents." Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them. Blessing each one with a blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them. I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham brought, bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. 
There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were brought, bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into his bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Father God, we thank you for this word. In Christ's name, we pray that you might use it in our lives today. And we pray in his name. Amen. There's much to be learned when we talk of what it means to leave a legacy, to, to impact those who come after us. Just as, as Jacob is looking at the legacy he will leave behind, as he is saying to them prophetically from the Lord, that this is what's to come in your legacy, it's a reminder to us to consider ours. It's a reminder to us to consider the legacy others have left behind. There was one rather fascinating study done over a century ago, it was published in 1900 by an educator and pastor named A.E. Winship. And what Winship did was looked back over the course of about 150 years, back to the 1700s, and from there he, he looked at two men and their descendants and the legacy they left. Uh, one man gained his attention because in a study of the New York State prison system, it was found at that time there were about 40 Two different men representing 42 different families, but, but they all came from the same bloodline. They all descended ultimately from one man. Winship referred to him in his study as Max Jukes, and as he studied the descendants of Jukes, he found this. Seven were murderers, 60 were thieves, 50 were harlots, 130 were other convicts, 310 made their living by begging for money, 400 were physically destroyed by indulgent living at a young age, and hundreds of others never survived childhood because they lived in such harsh, poor, awful conditions. And as he studied the, the patriarch of this family, Max Jukes, he found one that was faithless, godless, in our terms today, we would have called him a career criminal. And that's the legacy he left. And then what Winship did was he, he, he put him beside another who lived in the same day, in the same age, but one who had faith, one who trusted God, one who walked with the Lord, one who encouraged his children to do the same, a, a pastor, a, a teacher named Jonathan Edwards, one who still influences many of us today through his writings through his sermons as he studied edward's descendants he found a stark contrast to the descendants of jukes he found within his bloodlines within his descendants a u.s vice president three u.s senators three governors three mayors 13 college presidents 30 judges 65 professors 80 public office holders 100 missionaries and 100 attorneys I realize you might want to put the attorneys on the other family, but well, what he found was this, this, this stark contrast between these two families. And he noted this, whatever the Jukes stand for, the Edwards family does not, and whatever weaknesses the Jukes represents finds its antidote in the Edwards family. They couldn't have been more different men, and they couldn't have had more different descendants. The question is, what set these men apart? Well, if you read Edwards, you find it very quickly. It wasn't that he was born into this tremendous 
faith and that he always believed, but God in His grace rescued him and saved him. And in that then, in his response to that, he had faith and he walked with the Lord. One of the things that many note about Edwards were his resolutions that he had for his life. Let me read to you two of them. Resolution number one, very simply, I will live for God. Resolution number two, if no one else does, I still will. And he did. He was not a perfect man, but he was a man who walked by faith. And you can see how that faith impacted generations that would come after him. The question for us as we come to God's Word, the question as we consider the legacy of Jacob and the legacy of his sons is what type of mark, what type of legacy will you and I leave today? See, so many in our culture, it's become very popular when we talk about future, when we talk about legacy, to kind of blame things on our past. Well, 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 I was treated this way, or this happened to me, and that's why this has happened. But God's Word tells us, while we can't rewrite past chapters, we can determine future chapters. And we can find encouragement in people like Jacob. Jacob stands as one in Scripture who certainly did not walk by faith all of his life. We've watched him as we've studied this book. Struggle with walking by sight. Struggling with the desires of the flesh. Comes to this point where there's even references as he's blessing his sons on his own sin. These multiple wives he had. Places where he didn't trust the Lord. And yet in the end he is walking in faith and he is calling them and I believe us today to do the same. He calls us there by showing us this contrast, much like we see in Edwards and in Jukes, a contrast between what it means to walk by sight and walk by faith, a contrast that I want us to look at as we consider this in our own lives, beginning with point one there in your notes. What we learn here is that when we walk by sight, we we have an impact, and that impact is we leave behind a curse. The very first three children that Jacob addresses here are Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And notice, with Reuben, his firstborn, his eldest, we know from our study of the Scriptures, that, that's a position of preeminence. That, that's the inheritance. That's the one who will lead the family. And yet, as he looks at him, as he addresses him this way, as he says, listen, you are preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power, my firstborn, my might. You, you think he's building up towards, here's all the great things that are for you, son. But the sins of Reuben's past now come back into play. And his father looks at him and says, You are unstable and you shall not have preeminence because you defiled your father's bed. He's taken us back to Genesis 35 where we read there, When Israel lived in the land, Reuben went in and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. It's that gross immorality that Reuben committed with one of the wives of Israel, which at the time in our study we noted, the Scripture simply said, simply said of Israel, and Israel heard of it. <laughs> he didn't address it. We have no biblical record of him sitting down with his son and confronting him in his sin, and we have no biblical record of Reuben ever repenting of that sin. But as we mentioned then, I'll remind you of today, When we don't deal with our sin, our sin deals with us. And when we don't repent of our sin, it doesn't go away, it doesn't dissipate, it doesn't fade into the background, it's there. And it grows. And it comes back on us. 
We cannot outlive or outrun, as I've mentioned, the consequence of sin. Sin will always take us farther than we intended to go. It will cost us more than we ever thought we would spend. And that's what happens in Reuben's life, who goes in out of his desires of the flesh, commits this gross immorality with one of his father's wives, thinking probably he's gotten away with it and everything's fine. And years later, on his father's deathbed, he turns to him and says, Son, I know what you did. And son, it cost you everything. I don't think Reuben, when he went into that immorality, was considering what it would cost him any more than you and I do. You and I are lured into sin. We are tempted to sin. It is desiring to the eyes. We, we walk towards it. We, we don't consider what we read in Proverbs 7 of the young man lacking sense. Little does he know it will cost him his life. Reuben loses everything. And it's not just him. Simeon and Levi, they, they would have been those who would be Naturally, their father would have said, okay, I've taken the birthright from Reuben, but I'm going to place it on you guys. You guys are going to lead the family now. Well, what does he say to them? Much of the same that he said to Reuben. I, I remit your sin. Look at your sin. You're your brothers, but your weapons of violence... I don't want my soul to counsel you. I don't want anything about me to be joined with you. He essentially says to them, I want no connection to you whatsoever. Why? Well, you go back to Genesis chapter 34. And if you remember that, when Jacob's daughter Dinah goes out, she's, she's lured in by the women of the land, and then she is defiled by Shechem, this, this prince... And then in retaliation for the abuse their sister received, these two brothers decide that they, under the umbrella of a covenant, a godly biblical covenant with these people, they're going to go in and they're going to trick them and they're going to deceive them and they're going to wipe them out. And that's what they do. They don't just go after Shechem. The scripture says they kill by the sword every man in that city. And their father looks at them afterwards and says, you have brought a stench on the name of our family. From that point forward, people are going to look at them as just these vengeful, murderous people. Now, some of us look at that, and we say, well, what, what's so wrong there? You know, they're, they're defending their sister. They're, they're fighting for the right thing, but, but they did what we are tempted to do. The Scripture says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, but so often we are tempted in our flesh, aren't we? to take vengeance into our own hands. You say, you did that, and that was wrong, and now I'm going to get you back. <laughs> You're going to get what's coming to you. You're going to get a lot more than you thought you would get. And we sin as these men sinned, as these brothers sinned, and, and it cost them. All of these are examples of what it looks like to walk by sight. What does Reuben do? What his eyes tell him to do? He, he's desiring something. And so if you have a conversation with Reuben before that, it probably goes somewhere like this. So, so, so Reuben, you're telling me what you're considering. I don't know that that's the right thing. Reuben, I, I, just, I feel like it's the right thing. My, my, heart, my heart really wants me to do this. Well, Reuben, your, your heart could be wrong. What? I don't know because this, this will make me happy. And doesn't God want me to be happy? I mean, God wouldn't, wouldn't want me to do something that 
will make me unhappy. He wants me to be happy, and this will make me happy. Well, well Reuben, I think, I think God's word is pretty specific in this area. This, this is wrong. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not sure that applies to me in this case. Do you think they sound familiar? Because I hear that conversation a lot. It feels good. Man, my heart just tells me. I'm just going with my heart here. It seems so right. How can it be wrong? You open up the Proverbs. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. And that verse stands out to me so often in Scripture as one that reminds me, I don't know my own heart. My heart will deceive me. I can spend my life doing what feels right and be wrong. The standard is not how I feel. The standard is not how you feel. The standard is not how our world feels. The standard is what God's Word calls us to. And rather than living lives dictated by our desire, we are to live lives dictated by the desire of our God. But what we see so often is the the luring power of temptation and sin to walk by sight and not by faith. And what the Scripture reminds us of is be careful because there's a wage, that there's a cost to that. It's not just in the Proverbs that we read that there's a way that seems right, but it's in this death that we read in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful contrast that is. That there's another way. That there's a better way. We can live not by sight, but by faith. And we see examples of that in this text. Point two, when we walk by faith then, we leave behind a blessing. That there is much in this chapter about these sons and and what God will do in the history of Israel. And you could spend weeks studying Genesis 49. There's one that I want to point out to you. It it should have jumped out already and stand out as as a contrast here. And, And it's Joseph. Joseph stands out as one who who walked by faith. And as a result, we see God blessing. And God blessing those who will come after Him. And notice what God says about His faith. God does not look at Joseph and through his father Jacob say to him, Well, Joseph, you really knew how to make the best of an awful situation. Joseph, when, when you were in those chains, buddy, you were just dancing and singing and, and you would have thought you weren't even in chains. No, God through Joseph's father Jacob looks at Joseph and he says, the archers bitterly attacked him. And you think about that illustration. And you think about war. You think about, you know, being attacked by the sword. That, that you see that coming. That's, that's hand-to-hand combat. That, that is an enemy in front of you, and you know it's coming, and you're preparing against that sword. But archers? Archers, you, you don't see that coming. You're just going down a path. You're not really thinking, perhaps, even about danger. And all of a sudden... And it's over. Jacob looks at his son and he says, Joseph, that's what happened to you. You went by my request with the 
safety of your brothers in mind to check on them. And the arrows started coming, didn't they? <laughs> Instead of being able to bring me back a report, they, they threw you into a pit, and then you listened as they debated what they were going to do. And some of them said, well, let's kill him. <laughs> and then others said, well, no, let's sell him so we can profit from it. And then you got out of the pit and because you were faithful and you trusted God and you walked with Him in the midst of suffering, you were brought to a position of authority. Authority in the house of Potiphar, this, this one who served the Pharaoh. And then you stayed faithful to the point that when sin was right there in front of you and no one would know and you could have followed your desires, you and faith said no. And then you were falsely accused and thrown back into prison. And they put a shackle around your throat and around your wrist and around your ankles and you were chained to a wall for years. And the arrows kept coming, son. Because then you had that opportunity, you remember that, where, where there you were and here comes this cupbearer and, and this baker and, and they've had these dreams and Pharaoh's thrown them into the prison but, 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 but God's giving you this gift where you can discern that and so you tell them what those dreams mean and, and then the, the cupbearer because at least he's going to live he says well I'm going to tell the Pharaoh all about you but then you stayed in chains and the arrows kept coming I think it is so significant church that when we read Genesis 49 and we have in front of us Jacob, Israel, this great patriarch, giving blessing to his sons, the one he elevates the most, the one who he talks the most of blessing, is the one who he says, you will be blessed in the context of what? Suffering. Arrows. You're not going to see it coming. And friends, there are so many in the Christian life today who I don't know what Bible they're reading, but they miss this. And they talk of blessing in the form of, well, if you just have enough faith, then it's all going to be good. You know? Smile. <laughs> Turn that frown upside down. God won't give us more than we can handle. And all these little cliches come at you, and you start to wonder, do I even know this God they're speaking of? Because this frown ain't turning upside down. And I can't handle this. And then we open up the Scripture and we come to one who is presented to us, as we've said, as a type of Christ, as a picture of Jesus. And we see in Him one who suffers and suffers and suffers. But we see God's grace in it and God's hand on it. And we're reminded, friend, that that is what He has called many of us to if you've come this morning hoping that you would leave with a sense of happiness or joy that will replace pain or somehow you're, you're going to be, it's all going to be good and there's some pixie dust in the scripture and, and you're going to turn that frown upside down then you just keep going down the street and to another city maybe and just find that place because they're out there. But I think here, if we're faithful to what the Scripture says, it says, listen, the walk of faith is a blessed life, but friend, it's not an easy life. And there's going to be times, the prophet Jeremiah says it this way, there's going to be times where you feel like God is a bear seeking to devour you. That's what Jeremiah says. And then he turns around right after he says that, and he says, 
Praise God. <laughs> you know, God, I feel like you're a bear wanting to devour me. But I've got to praise you. I'm going to praise you, and I want to praise you. You ever felt that way? Lord, what's going on? Another, another, another arrow? But then you read the Scripture, and you're reminded there's no other place for us to place our hope. Because God, in His grace and His goodness, He doesn't just look at us and say, let me make your life a little easier. He says, let me make your eternity secure in Christ. And let me take you to a place, and let me take you to a day where there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, there's no more arrows. <laughs> and put your hope there, friend. But for some of you, you hear that, and you read this, and this comparison of walking by faith, walking by sight, and, and maybe... Maybe you're like a lot of folks. You look at that and you say, you know what, though? I've walked by sight a lot more than I've walked by faith. (laughs) And I'm not real sure how you get from one to the other. I'm not real sure how I deal with years and decades of walking in a worldly way and how suddenly I can walk by faith. We do it simply this way, point three. We move from walking by sight to walking by faith through repentance. That's what the scripture calls us to. That's the model we see here. Now, notice this. I want you to see this. Jacob starts out with Reuben, and we see Reuben, and we think, oh, yeah, woo. Remember what he did? <laughs> He's not going to get blessed. And then Simeon and Levi, and you read that, man, yeah, they, they went over, they wiped out the whole city, and that wasn't good. Yeah, that's not going to be good for them. And then you come to verse 8 Judah. And if you follow through this book, then when you get to verse 8, you should say, oh, this isn't going to be good for Judah. No. Because remember Judah? Joseph's in a pit. Brothers are talking about, what do we do with him? Some saying, let's just just walk away, leave him for dead right here. What does Judah say? I think we can make some money off of this. Why should we not profit from this? Joseph, or Judah looks at the suffering of his brother in the pit and says, I should get paid for this. That, that's a messed up guy. That's a guy you get to in, Gen- in Genesis 49 and you think, here comes the whammy on him, you know. Here's when his dad's going to say, okay, Judah, I hope you enjoyed those coins because you're going to be impoverished forever and everybody who ever follows you, y'all are just going to be destitute. Remember what else Judah did? Genesis 38, a whole chapter. When I was preparing to preach through the book of Genesis, Genesis 38, from the day I started, was a cloud over my head. (laughs) How in the world do you preach this text? What in the world do we say here? How do I say these things in a way that every child in every car afterwards is not saying, well, Daddy, Mommy, what is... It is a gross chapter in the Scripture. It is full of sin and immorality. That's Judah. And so we expect to come to verse 8 and see Judah just get the wrath dumped on him. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. There's all this language about Judah that somehow now he has been elevated to a kingly position. How does that happen? 
Well, I believe that happens, as we've already noted in our study of this book, it happens through God changing Judah's heart and through repentance in his life. And I believe what we see in Judah's life as you follow through the text and follow through the storyline is there's a, there's a different Judah, there's a changed Judah because God works in Judah's life and he shows him his grace and mercy and he calls him to do the same and so then Judah goes from the guy saying I think we can make some money off the pain and suffering of our brother to fast forward decades later there he is in a similar scenario before the Pharaoh his, son, his brother Benjamin is now the one in captivity and he can walk away he can even probably profit from this situation he can say okay let's make some off of Benjamin now and yet he looks and he says take me instead I, I will take this for my brother. He essentially does what the Scripture calls to do. He is willing to lay down his life for another. Judah, towards the end of Genesis, suddenly has become the spokesperson for the brothers. And as he speaks, he speaks of faith. Why? Because Judah repented. And friends, that's what we're called to do as well. I... I God is in the business of taking messed up people and turning them around, friend. And some of you are here this morning and perhaps you're sitting here thinking, okay, if you knew my Genesis 38 stories, if you knew my past, if you knew these chapters, you might preach a little different. Because you look at that and you have years of walking by sight and maybe stuff nobody in this room knows about and you know about and it haunts you and you look at it and you think, I'm not sure how to turn that around. But that's the business that God is in. And that's why Peter, in Acts chapter 3, he stands before these men, and after Pentecost, he says to them, what you need to do is repent, therefore. Turn back. He describes repentance for us in that verse. Repentance is you're walking in sin, and you stop, and you turn around, and you go the other way. There, there are chapters of my life that if you read, you might not come to this church. And there are chapters of your life that if we read, we might not want you to come to this church. But God's in the business of taking people whose chapters don't look so good. <laughs> and they're full of stuff worse than Genesis 38. And He rescues us from our sin. And He calls us to walk by faith in Him. And as we do that, friend, know this... It, it's not an easy road. It's a hard road. And there are times in it when we're struggling and we're wrestling and sin is great and we're looking back and we're thinking, man, that looks good. And I remember it. I was, I was happy doing that. I really enjoyed that. In some ways, that was easier than this. See, for some, they have this testimony of, you know, I was at the bottom and I was in the pit and I was reaching out and God rescued me. But let me tell you, it's one that wasn't my experience. I, I was happy in sin. As I've heard one refer to it, I was a happy pagan. I was enjoying my life. But to the glory of God, he had different plans. And he snatched down in my joy, in my desire of sin, he gave me a desire for something else. Something that would bring me greater joy. Something that didn't focus just on this world and the temporal nature on it, but on the world to come, a new heaven and a new earth. And that is what he calls us all to. And that road, that journey, those chapters, they, for some of you, maybe they've been smooth ones and, and they've gone pretty good. And 
For others of you, today, you're, you're just holding on. You're, you're not sure how you're going to make it through another one. I want to remind you, Jesus didn't say the one who starts out strong will be saved. He said the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. Well, one of my favorite quotes, I've got it in my office, on my wall, I look at it often. Charles Spurgeon said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. <laughs> that, that's the Christian life. The Christian life is hard, and at times you feel like you're barely moving, and at times you feel like you're going backwards. But when you step back and you see a picture like this of the grace of God and what it means to walk by faith, you're reminded to press on, to press on, and to press on. And that our faith is not grounded in our works. It is grounded in the grace of God who is the one who empowers us then to press on and press on and press on. And so friend, if you're struggling today, press on. And if you're not struggling today, praise God, you will be one day and press on. And walk by faith and not by sight. If you would, pray with me. Father God, we come to you this morning reminded from your word of, of the need to, to walk by faith, Lord, of the reminder we're all going to leave behind a legacy. I, I would guess for most of us, nobody's going to sit down and study our descendants and compare them to others as the study we started out looking at between the Edwards and the Jukes. But Lord, that doesn't mean we don't need to consider what that study would look like the mark that each of us will leave. Lord, perhaps for some today, the mark hasn't looked so good and the legacy is not a great one right now. But Father, you're in the business of changing those things. And so Father, I pray for all of us that you would call us to repentance and to faith. Lord, I pray for all of us that as we trust you, as we walk by faith, that you would empower us, that you would provide for us. Lord, we pray for that little boy we saw a picture of for John. Oh, Lord, we pray for his safety and protection. And God, we pray that you would bring him home for your strength in the McKay's family, for your provision. Lord, we pray for all of us and what it is you've called us to do, what faith looks like in our life. Lord, would you empower us to walk in faith, to trust in you. And would you show us your grace and your mercy as we do. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.